0: Safety on the water should be of primary importance to everyone, and given that May 21st is the beginning of the National Boating Safety Awareness Week, which also marks Victoria Day weekend, when many folks across the country launch their boats, from stand-up paddleboards, kayaks, to sailboats, to various sizes of powerboats, today's episode's a bit different than our typical episode but it is definitely very important for us and our partners at transport canada and therefore today we're going to talk about boating safety from a recreational point of view now most of what we're going to talk about today applies to both marine and freshwater, at least from a regulations point of view we're going to be focusing on general regulations today but because there's so many types of boats sizes of boats and areas that people go boating we simply can't capture everything in one episode. And therefore, our friends at Transport Canada definitely suggest that people check out the safe boating guide, of which I'll put a link in the show notes. Gway, hello, and welcome to Ootan, our living ocean. I'm your host, Brian Martin. And today, we have two special guests from Transport Canada. Steve Turgeon, the manager of the Office of Boating Safety. And we also have boating safety officer John Nelson from that same office. So without further ado, let's get to it. All right. well first of all thank you so much for being here with us i really appreciate it today we are going to talk about recreational vessels also known as pleasure crafts but what is a recreational vessel and the reason i ask that is that regulations are obviously very different between recreational vessels fishing vessels work boats, passenger vessels can can you start by telling me the difference between those different classes
1: yeah absolutely brian so a pleasure craft is any boat that you use for pleasure activity like fishing, water sports and entertaining friends. Uh, it also includes a boat you use for everyday hunting and fishing or daily activity. Now for example if you live in a remote area going from uh, one village to another that would be a good example of how this would this enter as a be described as a pleasure craft. Now a non pleasure craft Is a vessel that you use for work or commercial activity. Now, for example, when passengers pay to be on board, that would be considered a non-pleasure craft. When people are on board as part of their job, other than the crew, that also falls under that category. When operators of the vessel use it to provide a service, and when vessel is operated by a government, whether provincial or federal. So these would all; they're all example of you know, a, a pleasure craft that would be considered a non-pleasure craft.
0: Perfect. Yeah. and And, and again, like, I, I just want to stress the point there that, as you mentioned, anybody that's charging people to be on their vessel, even if it is for pleasure, automatically makes it a commercial operation. And there is special equipment needed on board and specialized training that the captain staff would need to have as well.
1: That's right because when you when your your pleasure craft no longer falls under that it falls under that non-pleasure craft category you must meet the requirement for non-pleasure craft at any time you use your pleasure craft for non-pleasure activities.
0: Perfect. And again because we're going to talk on touch on law enforcement a little bit later can you tell me a little bit about the roles between Transport Canada, the Coast Guard versus other enforcement such as the RCMP when it comes to marine safety?
1: yeah absolutely so uh, first of all like the office of boating safety is responsible for overseeing regulation standard and policy enforcement and technical services for recreational vessel now we encourage safe boating practices and compliance with regulation so this is done through management of the vessel operation restriction and the pleasure craft licensing regulatory program uh, providing training to law enforcement agency when requested uh, we promote boating safety uh, in addition the boating safety contribution program supports boating safety education and so if if anyone is interested in the uh, the contribution program support you can contact the office of boating safety uh, and I'll provide the uh, or contact information at the end of the uh, the podcast Um, You know, as for Transport Canada in general and the Coast Guard and the law enforcement, so Transport Canada, uh, our top priority is to help keep border and seafarers safe in Canada while protecting our coast. Uh, We develop and implement policy and regulations and administer the Canada Shipping Act 2001. Uh, We oversee both recreational and commercial vessel safety, and we partner with other federal government departments and agencies to improve Canada's marine safety and security system. Now as for the Coast Guard, so they're a special operating agency within the fishery in Ocean Canada. Uh, they work to ensure the safety of mariners in Canadian water and protect Canada's marine environment. Now we partner with the Canadian Coast Guard to deliver prevention-based information and education program designated to be delivered for recreational border. Now this would be our Pleasure Craft Courtesy Check program. Now as for law enforcement, uh, agency. So we work together to strengthen our relationship with with our enforcement partner by providing regulatory based training to increase the awareness of enforcement officers' authorities and powers when they're conducting their marine enforcement activity.
0: Okay, let's talk about what people need to have before they even think of going out on the water. And the first thing that I can think of is pleasure craft operator card. Um, Who needs when to operate a vessel?
2: Yes, proof of competency. Going out on the water requires basic boating safety knowledge and a good understanding of the rules of the road for Canadian waterways. That's why in Canada, everyone who operates a motorized pleasure craft must carry proof of competency on board. This includes all types of motorized boats, no matter their size or horsepower of the engine, and this includes small boats with electric motors. There are a variety of documents that may serve as proof of competency, a pleasure craft operator card or PCOC, a certificate from a Canadian boating safety course completed before 8, April 1st, 1999. That's when the current regulations came into effect. A professional marine certificate or equivalent from the list of certificates of competency as listed from our website. A completed rental boat safety checklist good for only a rental period if the boat is rented. For visitors to Canada, an operator card or other document that meets the requirements of his or her home state or country. Now, there are uh, horsepower restrictions for youth. In addition to the requirement to carry a document serving as proof of competency, boat operators under the age of 16 must also comply with other requirements. Restrictions are imposed on horsepower or kilowatt capacity of the motor of the boat they wish to operate. So that means youth under the age of 12 with no direct supervision may only operate a boat with a motor of up to 10 horsepower or 7.5 kilowatts. Youth aged 12 to 15 with no direct supervision may only operate a boat with a motor of up to 40 horsepower or 30 kilowatts. Youth under the age of 16, regardless of supervision, may not operate a personal watercraft. That's a PWC or jet ski or Sea-Doo. And direct supervision means a person 16 years of age or older is in the boat and directly supervising operator. Right. Remember, um, youth must also carry proof of competency to operate any motorized boat, supervised or not.
0: All ages need one of these then, whether it's grandpa or my daughters. They need pleasure craft operator card, is that
2: correct? When you're operating a motorized boat over 10 horsepower... Over, you over you ten horse one.
0: One. Okay. So if I've got a canoe and I'm paddling my canoe, do I need one for that?
2: You don't need one, but you know, given that uh, boating safety courses are essential. If you're going out in the water with other motorized craft, it's always good to have that boating safety knowledge.
0: And I guess same thing would go with a, a small sailboat that doesn't actually have a motor like a Hobie Cat or a laser or something. So you don't need it, but best to have it. So, where can I get one of these Pleasure Craft Operator cards? I think they're about 50 bucks.
2: Yeah, voters who do not already have one of the other documents accepted as proof of competency must obtain a PCOC, the Pleasure Craft Operator card. You can do this by passing a voting safety test. Usually the test is taken at the end of the voting safety course. All the voting safety courses and tests leading to the issuance of a PCOC are delivered by course providers uh, accredited by Transport Canada and you can view this list of accredited course providers online on our website. All the fees for and card services are established by the course providers. Services and fees vary among the course providers but the Government of Canada does not collect or receive any fees for the boating safety courses tests or cards. And the best way to prepare and pass the boating safety test is by taking a boating safety course from an credit course provider. These courses are available in classroom and online. By taking a boating safety course, you'll learn about your responsibilities as a boat operator, how to get your boat, your guests, and yourself prepared before you leave the dock, the importance of making sure all the right boating safety equipment is on board and is in good working order, and how to prevent unsafe situations once underway, and how to share The waterways with others, including larger and less maneuverable commercial vessels and what to do in an emergency. Whether you learn best in a classroom style setting with lots of student interaction or prefer to learn at your own pace in an online environment, the information acquired in a boating safety course will help keep you and your guests safe while you're out on the water.
0: And these are good for life, I'm pretty sure. But I think most of the online providers will allow you to revisit that that course without necessarily taking the test again, and that would be free of charge, I think. Um, but what if I don't have a pleasure craft operator card and I go out for a rip on my speedboat? what's What's the reper- repercussions of that?
2: We recommend everyone get a PCOC, the pleasure craft operator card, and it's important. Anyone who operates a motorized pleasure craft must have this PCOC. There are repercussions um, for law enforcement by not having your pleasure craft operator card operating a motorized boat. Okay,
0: so b- beyond the pleasure craft operator card, what else do I need? Do I need to have insurance on my vessel, registration, licensing? What What else do I need for, for the vessel itself?
1: Yeah, I can speak to that. So. So Transport Canada, we don't regulate or require proof of insurance for licensing pleasure craft. Now, right. we recommend that if you are a recreational boat owner, that you contact your insurance provider to ensure that your property is insured. But what we recommend is always carry your document. Um, if you're at a, if you're heading out in your boat, motorized boat, uh, uh, make sure to bring on board your proof of competency, your personal ID and documentation for your pleasure craft license. But, Brian, there's one thing I'd like to explain is the difference between licensing and the registration, registration of a vessel. Right. Uh, a, a Canadian pleasure craft may be licensed or registered. So if you operate or keep your boats mostly in Canada and it is powered by one or more motor heading up to 10 horsepower or more, you must get it licensed unless you register it. So you must also license dinghies or tenders you carry on board or tow behind a larger boat. A pleasure craft license uh, is a document giving your boat a unique license number and it's valid for 10 years. Your pleasure craft licensing system allows search and rescue personal to access information about your boat 24 hours a day, seven days a week in the event of an emergency. You know This could mean the difference between life and death uh, if you encounter danger or if you're not coming back. So, it's right. a good way for search and rescue to uh, to, to, to help tracking, um, and you know if, if your boat does not need a pleasure craft license, well, you can choose to get one for safety reason.
0: Right, and that's usually the number that's on the s- the front of the on the side of the bow, right? The f- the front of the boat um, on the sides.
1: That's right on the port and uh, the starboard side of the bow, and uh, it's a that's right ten digit number. Right. Yeah. You may ask yourself, uh, how can how can I get a license? So there, there's two ways. Um, the preferred method uh, would be applying online uh, and uploading the um, applicable document. Uh, the second way would be the old-fashioned way of uh, filling out the form uh, that you can get on our website uh, and follow the instruction, attach all the required document, and mail it to the PleasureCraft Licensing Center. And the address is provided on the instruction. Now, this covers. the 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 license part of uh, licensing a vessel now vessel registration so although you're no longer required to register a pleasure craft over 15 gross ton you can still choose to do so now you may wonder why should i register my boat well uh registration gives you some important benefits uh, which include proof of ownership which is a legal title for your boat Uh, it gives you the right to fly a canadian flag Um, and all, you'll have a unique name and an official number for your boat and the right to use your boat as a security for uh, a marine mortgage. Now, uh, is, is your vessel registration a proof of ownership? Well, yes, it is. And it's a good idea to register any boat you plan to operate outside of Canada uh, since you're going to have to prove ownership uh, at international border. Now, to learn more about registration your boat uh, and the costs associated with it, uh, visit the Transport Canada Vessel Registration Office online.
0: So the last thing on training, some larger pleasure crafts have a VHF radio on board. Do you need special training to use a marine
2: radio? All VHF marine operators must have a restricted operator certificate maritime, the ROCM. Industry Canada has delegated the ROCM to the Canadian Power and Sales Squadron, CPS. You can call the CPS for more information uh, for courses in your area. So the Marine uh, VHF radio is generally the best way to send a distress alert. If you have a VHF radio, keep it turned to channel 16. Know where you are at all times and be prepared to describe your specific location.
0: And and I guess just for listeners as well, as far as I'm aware... Nobody in Canada has ever been charged with unlawful use of a VHF radio in the event of a true emergency. Um, And although it is in your boat, at least one person should have training, but everyone should know how to use it. So a quick recap. Everybody using a motor needs to have a Pleasurecraft operator card or equivalent, and all boats with a motor greater than 9.9 horsepower must be licensed or registered. And anyone using a Marine VHF radio also needs proper training and a certificate. These radios are incredibly useful. We didn't talk about first aid or domestic vessel safety training, as these are not required for a pleasure craft, but are certainly a good idea to have. So we're all trained up. We know where we're going. What should we bring with us? Let's start with, say, a paddleboard or a kayak, a canoe, and work up to a small powerboat less than 6 meters um, or 20 feet
2: A lot of preparation should go into getting ready for the boating season. Our top priority is to keep boaters safe. So we want to ensure they have the proper safety equipment and properly fitting life jacket or PFD. About 90% of people who drown in recreational boating incidents are not wearing a life jacket or PFD. Even if you have one on board, conditions like rough winds, waves, and cold water can make it very hard, if not impossible, to find and put it on. Worse yet, if you unexpectedly fall into the water, the boat with your life jacket or a PFD on board could be too far away to reach. In addition, you must have the right equipment on board. If something goes wrong on the water, you'll be much better prepared to deal with it if you have the right equipment on board, if it's in good working order and everybody can find it and use it. All the safety equipment on board must be in good working order, always a- easy to reach so that it can be used in an emergency, and maintained and replaced in accordance with the manufacturer's instructions or recommendations. In Canada, the safety equipment on board depends on the type and length of your boat. You can find the length of your boat by reading the manufacturer's product information or by measuring yourself from the front outside surface of the hull shell to the back outside surface of the hull shell, bow to stern. You may consult the Safe Boating Guide to get more specific information on the type of equipment required or simply give the Office of Boating Safety a call, or give us an email by visiting our website. Remember, the best protection you can give yourself on the water is to always wear your life jacket or PFD. Yeah,
1: and if I can add to that, Brian, like the Safe Boating Guide is a great tool here. Um, you can It's available on our website. You can download it as a PDF, and it has a chart of all the, the the safety equipment that you are required to have um by law depending on what type of boat you have what type, what size boat you have whether it's um, a personal appliance uh, life-saving appliances visual signal safety equipment navigation equipment fire-fighting equipment so it's it's all in the um it, it's all in the uh the safe boarding guide so we encourage everyone that has any question about safety equipment to, to have a look in the, in the uh, safe boating guide or, or contact us for clarification.
0: My dad used to make us jump in the water with our shoes and all our clothes on at the beginning of each season to remind us how hard it actually was to swim with all your clothes on in perfect condition, let alone the ideal, less than ideal conditions. So again, just please wear your life jackets. Um, and I'm gonna mention a couple of really quick ones that people don't necessarily think of, but a whistle. Fox 40 usually has them clip it to your vest. It can save your life. If you fall overboard, people can't necessarily see you. At least they will hear you. Now, there are two things that I didn't mention during the interview, especially for those that may be in busier areas, including shipping lanes near the cancel Strait or anywhere that there's a ferry traffic. And that would be the addition of a radar reflector. All the larger vessels use radar systems to help them see other boats Unfortunately, small wooden and fiberglass boats don't tend to reflect the signal very well, meaning that if there's an issue with visibility and you're broken down or even anchored, they won't see you. So a radar reflector is a relatively cheap piece of tinfoil that bounces the signal back to the large vessel and shows up on their screen. The next step up would be an automated identification system, better known as an AIS. And these are a bit more expensive, $400 plus, but they will send a GPS signal to satellites and other boats will know exactly where you are and you will know where they are as well. It'll show up on yours and their screens. And the AIS also makes it much easier to send out an SOS at the press of a button. These are getting much more affordable as well. And then the other, the other really funny thing is that I only started to think about when I started boating with people that were bigger than me, which is pretty much everyone. And that's a reboarding device. So either a ladder or a rope fashion so that you can step up because it can be really, really hard to get someone back into the boat without it. Um, but again, as these, as these folks just said, the uh, Safe Boating Guide will tell you exactly what you need for your length of boat, um, whether that's fire extinguishers and throw ropes, um, communication devices, et cetera, et cetera.
1: That's right. And the, the reboarding advice would have to be for boats with freeboard of 0.5 meters. Exactly, so, yeah. yeah. And the Safe Boating Guide has all the information. So it's, it's a great tool.
0: And 0.5 meters isn't very much. Like, there's not a lot of boats that are under 0.5 that um, that someone could easily get into, right?
1: Right, exactly. And there's always a chance to capsize, right? So uh, if... Yeah. Um, so it's life jacket, PFD, personal flotation device, save life.
0: Yeah. I want to add one thing here as we talk about capsizing, because I was reminded of it this past weekend after we had our interview. So it's May 25th today, and last weekend was 25 degrees Celsius which is pretty hot for May. So naturally, we brought our little beach bumps to play in the sand and to play in the water. And I generally swim in cold water all the time, but I could only last for about two minutes before I started to shake pretty hard. And it seems a bit silly to say, but be aware that the water is really cold here for most of the year, especially in the spring and especially in the Bay of Fundy or the Atlantic side of Nova Scotia. Have extra clothing and some of those little Foil blankets. They really do work because if someone does go in the water, hypothermia can set in really quickly. Um, I know this isn't a regulation, but what about the weather? You want to tell me about the weather a little bit?
2: You should maybe always maybe monitor. It? Yeah, exactly. The fog rolls in fairly quickly here. And you should always monitor the weather. Um, weather and water conditions play a big role in your safety on the water. Before heading out, make sure you get the latest forecast from your area and understand what it means. You should also be aware of local factors like topography. They may cause weather conditions to differ from the forecast. The best source for this information is people who know the area well.
0: So the the other thing before you get out on the water, that is not a regulation. Please have a knowledge of the area or have someone with you that is knowledgeable of that particular water body. There might be currents, tides, submerged rocks know where you're going and leave a trip plan with someone on shore so that they know when to expect you home. Steve, do you want to add to that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. This is, this is so important, Brian. Uh, Being prepared means more than having your boat and equipment in good working orders. Uh, You should also check nautical chart for overhead obstacle, bridges and underwater cable in your boating area. Uh, Read nautical chart with publication like sailing direction, looking at tides, um, no slack water, uh, high tides in the direction of the water flow. Stay away from swimming area, uh, even with canoes and, and kayaks. And those can, can injure swimmer. Definitely. Um, you know, avoid boating too close to shore. Uh, and these are all good. But, you know, one key point here is make a, make and file a sail plan. Right. Now, a sail plan um, includes the route you plan to travel and describes your boat uh, no matter what you no matter what you call them whether it's like a trip or float plan uh, some some people may use different term um, you should file one before heading out even if it's just for an hour or two you know file your sail plan with someone you trust and tell them to contact the rescue coordination center if you're late you know um, you'll find their number in the uh, in the safe boating guide um, and if you're if you're taking a long trip uh, like like days um you should you should file like a daily position report especially if you change your plan route uh, be sure to let people know when you return or safely arrive to your next stop uh, if you don't people may worry and launch a search and then we could you know could waste some valuable time um for the search and rescue team
0: and if everybody that you trust is on the boat with you is there someone that you can leave that sail plan with um kind of at the dock or the wharf is there is can, can you leave that with the rcmp or tc themselves i don't know if you know that
1: not 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 with transport canada but uh and uh but i'm, I'm sure you're able to find someone you know like either it could be a neighbor uh, it could be um like a a, a a friend or someone that um um it, it's best i to think to...
0: i think coast guard Maybe you can leave it with them. I'm going to look into that. Now, Steve found the answer before I did on this one. The Marine Communications and Traffic Services under the Coast Guard does accept sail plans if you really do have no other option. And you would do that by contacting the Coast Guard station nearest to your departure by phone or in person. But they do suggest using a friend or a family member whenever possible. One thing that's important, but outside of the jurisdiction of the Office of Boating Safety... If you're hooking up to a trailer, please have some experience before going to the slip for the first time. This will save you a headache and possibly some embarrassment, and others won't have to wait for you to back up time and time again. And remember that parking brake if you do need to get out of the vehicle on the ramp. And speaking of trailers and moving boats, if you plan on going to another water body, please don't bring any hitchhikers with you. And by this, I mean aquatic or marine invasive species. That's sort of beyond the scope of this episode, but we will talk about it in another time. Make sure the water's drained from your boat. Ideally, wait a few days before putting it in someplace else. Or give the boat a good scrub with soap or diluted bleach solution, especially if there's any growth on it. We won't talk about boys and channel markers, since that's part of the Pleasure Craft Operator Card training. But I do want to put a couple of tips in the narrative, because there is a lot to remember.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, go ahead, Brian.
0: Okay, here we go really quickly. The one that many people do know is red right return. Keep the red channel marker buoy on your right hand side while returning to shore or while moving upstream. This also means that the green buoy should be on your left. This will keep you from running aground because you'll stay in the channel. And speaking of left and right, port and starboard, the port side of your boat is on your left hand side if you're in the boat looking forward. The tip here is that port and left both have four letters. And no, I don't know the difference between left and right half the time. But red also has less letters than green, obviously, just like left versus right, port versus starboard. So the red light indicates the port side of a vessel, which would be your left while looking forward. Green has five letters, just like right. Green light is on your right hand side or starboard. Okay, I've got three more. Speaking of red and green lights in a boat, if you see a red light, just like in traffic, you do not have the right of way. If you see a green light, you generally have the right of way. Proceed with caution, as they may not know the rules of right of way. Which leads me to my favorite, Port Lansian Court, which means that generally, you should never turn to port, your left-hand side, when encountering other vessels. If you look at your Pleasure Craft Operator Guidebook, under the right-of-way section, you will understand why. Now lastly, sailboats are completely different than powerboats while under sail. If you have a motor, give them lots of room. They have the right-of-way and often need much deeper water because of that big keel. Same goes for big ships. But beyond buoys, there's also signs out there, either on the piers or especially colored buoys, including speed. I just want to discuss courtesy a little bit especially involving small self-propelled vessels, but also damage to sensitive habitats. Do you wanna to add to that a little bit?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, the rules of the road for Canada's waterway help everyone avoid collision on the water by setting out what every boater should do to avoid hitting or being hit by another vessel. So there's it's not just a way to be polite and be per- courteous on the water, it's the law set out in the collision regulation which apply to every vessel and operator on all navigable waterways from canoe to supertanker. So it applies literally to every border. So know the rules of the road and boat by them. Avoid close quarters situation. Keep a watch and steer, steer clear of shipping lanes, for instance, in the Halifax Harbor. We have some super tanker coming through there. They have a specific route and channel that they have must obey to get into the basin. So keep constant watch for others on the water. If you're sharing the waterway with larger vessel, remember that it is harder for them to see you or change their route to avoid you. It also takes them longer to stop. They don't stop on a dime. And these are all good reasons to be ready to move out of their way some boaters don't even realize the risks they take when they cross shipping lane or pass in front of larger vessel now we've got a few tips here to to help remember uh, since these these larger vessels will probably won't see you until it's too late so always watch for others on the water and be ready to yield to large vessel in the safest way uh, keeping in mind the water and weather condition uh, use your radar and radio if you have them uh, navigate in groups or other with uh, other small boats when possible to be more visible, and you know we talked about fog earlier, but stay off the water in fog and high wind condition. Um, this can definitely make it a lot harder to maneuver. Uh, stay clear of the of dock ferries, ferries in transit, yeah, vessel in tow, and uh, and working fishing vessel. So these would be some some of the tips to help prevent uh, and avoid. You know, collision and, you know, just, just be courteous, like recognize, yeah. like, you know, your boat and the wig that your, your, your power boat can create uh, and be mindful of, you know, of other recreational boater uh, that are on a smaller vessel in the vicinity. Um, you know, you, if you're creating a big weight, you know, this, this can definitely be, um, uh, it, it, it can literally endanger them. Right. And uh, yeah. so, so you, you have to be aware of that and, and be polite and courteous it's uh, it's a decent thing to do and it's um you know uh, we encourage we definitely encourage that
0: I've, I've seen many 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 um kayakers get flipped over by by wakes from power boats especially in areas where it's rental kayaks they may not have a lot of experience and mm-hmm. then they need to get rescued to get the water out and, and whatnot
1: yeah and if you don't ex- expect it right and uh, it's yeah. uh, you know like if a capsizing in a small boat like this like it's uh, it's scary it can be (laughs) very scary then you know you you panic right and it's very important to to be cursed and to respect the speed and respect other borders
0: yeah and i i also always assume that the other pilot or the other the other driver doesn't know that they have the right of way or not they don't know what they're doing so i'm always expecting the worst case scenario just to to be extra safe
1: yeah yeah you're right you drive for the others right
0: Exactly. Uh, I'm not going to talk about trash. Please don't litter. Um, if you see some trash or floating plastic, please bring it in if you're able to. Hopefully, if you're a regular listener, you're already aware of this by now. But talk to me about fueling a boat and small spills. What should we do about that?
2: Fuel safety is important. Leaking or spill fuel not only harms the marine environment, but presents a fire hazard. You should follow these tips when fueling. It's a safe thing to do, and it's a law. Moor your boat securely, prevent spills, shut off all engines, send guests ashore, put out all open flames, do not smoke, turn off electrical switches and power supplies, do not use electrical devices such as portable radios, close all windows, portholes, hatches, and cabin doors, remove portable tanks from the vessel before refueling, ground the nozzle against the filler pipe, And know how much fuel your tank can hold and do not overfill it. You have a duty to prevent fuel leaks and spills into your boat's hull and the water. Wipe up spills and dispose of used cloth or towel and in an approved container. Run your engine compartment blower for at least four minutes immediately before starting the gasoline engine. And check for vapors from the engine compartment before you start up the engine. Follow these instructions provided by your fuel suppliers as well as your boat's engine and system user manuals.
0: So what if I get, what if I do all that and then, whoops, I got half a cup full of fuel into the water. What's what's the steps? What should I do at that point?
2: If you accidentally pollute the water or witness or see the result of someone else polluting, report it to the Government of Canada Pollution Prevention Officer or call one of the telephone uh, numbers listed in the Safe Boating Guide for New Brunswick, PEI and Nova Scotia, that number is 1-800-565-1633.
0: And that's a requirement if I'm not mistaken, correct?
2: That's correct. Hopefully I never have to call that number.
1: And you should you should also have the if you're fueling your boat while you're in the water, you should have some some safety equipment to be to be able to to absorb like some uh, the absorbent pad to absorb any any fuel that's been um, scared over the side just to help uh, preventing
0: i guess ideally speed boots speed boots speed boats can um if they can come out of the water then you would refuel them away from the water at that case and then at least it's not moving around and whatnot um just like on the road accidents do happen and just like on the road some people do drink and ride or they cruise with booze tell me a little bit about alcohol or drug use on a vessel or some other the infractions.
1: Yes, I'm sure I can speak to that. Uh, boating under the influence of alcohol or drug is illegal. Uh, it is also a danger to yourself and others. Uh, you should contact your local law enforcement if you witness drinking while boating. Now, staying sober is your responsibility. So boating while drinking or taking drugs can lead to dangerous situation. When boating in you're not only just endangering yourself, but others too. So each time you're in your boat, you're responsible for the safety of your guests and other people using the waterway. You must always be prepared and alert. Uh, mixing alcohol and drugs with boating is far more dangerous than you may realize. Uh, fatigue, sun, uh, wind, and the motion of the boat uh, made all your sense. So alcohol and drugs intensify these effects, leaving you with reduced fine motor skill, and impaired judgment so impaired driving whether it's on land or on water is punishable under the criminal code of canada so again if you witness impaired driving um, you know by boat operator contact your local law enforcement
0: and then if if there is ever an accident involving alcohol or not what what should people do in that case
1: in this case it would be to report to do well if you're on the water Channel sixteen, report the accident, uh, but contact your local law enforcement. Uh, that would be um, they'd be able to uh, to provide assistance.
0: And one thing a lot of folks don't know is that um, if your cell phone actually works on the water, pound sixteen also calls the Coast Guard, which is the same thing as channel sixteen on your VHF radio. Um, but if necessary, nine one one is kind of the the easy go to for for that one. That's and
2: right. if
0: anybody doesn't have um, if your phone doesn't work or they don't have a VHF, you can get satellite devices like a spot system or an inReach that uses satellite to connect to emergency services um, or whatnot. So as you, as you mentioned, um, file a report, take some picture, pictures if you can, and then contact the, the, the appropriate authorities. Um, if anybody wants more information on this or on any of this that we've talked about, who can they contact or where can they get more information for this
1: well the safe boating guide has uh, as all the um all the information uh contact information phone number so depending what area you're in in canada um, you know refer to the safe boating guide uh, the, um, the contacts number are all there
0: perfect did i miss anything that you think our listeners should know about today again recognizing that we didn't cover everything a boater needs to know
1: no, you're right. We can talk all day about boating safety, but yeah. you know, so, some of the the key point is remember that the best protection you can give yourself on the water it's always to wear a life jacket or, yeah. or a personal flotation device. Um, inspect your boat. You know, take a few minutes uh, before you leave, making sure that your boat you know is safe. Uh, this is going to reduce the risk when you're out on the water. Um, you know, more than half of the calls for help are from boaters in trouble because of motor problem uh, including running out of fuel so you know taking a little bit of time just to make sure that you're prepared before you go it may, can make a difference and monitor the weather uh, it's a good one to know if there's uh, inclement weather uh, you know coming your way so just you know uh, that's that's important um making a sail plan right um using the pre-departure checklist to make sure you're ready to leave. That's another tool that's available in the safe boating guide. Um, You know, also explain the safe boating rule to everyone on board your vessel before you're heading out. You know, tell your guests where is the safety equipment, how to use it. Make sure that at least one person knows, you know, how to operate the boat just in case something happens to you. So I think these were, these are the key message, you know, if you, if you insure those, you know, you're going to have a a much, you know, you're going to ensure a good day on the water, knowing that everyone is aware if something happens, uh, what to do. Um, There's nothing worse than, you know, uh, coming into like a, like an emergency situation and not knowing what to do because uh, you, you just don't know, you haven't been briefed. So, but yeah, if you, you know, if you have any question about, boating safety, equipment required, uh, all the tools that are available, uh, you can give us a call for the Atlantic region. Uh, the Office of Boating Safety number is 1-800-230-3693. Or you can send us an email we'll be or one of our officers will be happy to reply back uh, with, the, with the answer. Our email address is obs atl dash bsn at tc.gc.ca
0: that's that's great and and i I really love that last that uh that last point that you made that at least somebody else on the vessel should know what to do in an emergency how to pilot the boat um because if if you as the pilot or the captain goes overboard gets injured has a heart attack anything um at least someone can get you back to shore safely or call for
1: safety um That's,
0: that's right Steve and John, thank you so much. I really really appreciate your time today.
1: Thank you. Oh, thank you, Brian. Thank you for having us. You're you're very welcome.
0: Well, there we have it. That concludes our episode for today. If you have questions or you want more information about boating safety or any other ocean-related topic, please feel free to contact me. In the meantime, wear your PFD, be safe, and have fun out there. Until next time. we'll all you.
1: Injured well. Well,
0: executive producers for the wutan our the living ocean series are roger honka and Vanessa mitchell the episodes produced by, by the maritime aboriginal people's council narrative and editing by your host brian martin today's special guests were steve durgeon and John Nelson from Transport Canada's Office of Bowling Safety. The song Broken Reed in English, written by George Edward Sheffery, performed by Lolan Johnson, translated and performed in Mi'kmaq by Elder Catherine Sorby. Production support provided by the Government of Canada, specifically Transport Canada's Indigenous and Local Communities Engagement and Partnership Program through Canada's Ocean Protection Plan. All rights reserved.
1: It's a healthy wind coming to heal your water world. Injured well.
0: So...